Hey guys, welcome to Word Books with Friends. We're here at episode number 16, which just so happens to coincide with chapter 16 of the book that we're talking about, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, because we're now at Through the Trap Door. I'm Chris, once again joined by one of my best friends, Paul. Hey, that's me. That's you. Uh, this episode, of course, being brought to you by our sponsor today, Trundle's Trap Doors. Trundle's Trap Doors. Have a hatch you need trap doored? Try Trundle's. Locks and giant three-headed dogs sold separately. <laughs> nice. Thank you. I wonder if they're Alohomora proof. It, it's such a weird fact that the wizarding world just not only has locks, but then just has a spell that's like, uh, unlock it. <laughs> Why? Why bother with a lock? Why bother with a lock? Why have locks if it can just be undone with a locking spell and then if it can just be blocked why have an unlocking spell i don't know wizarding world guys i don't know chris that's not a question for the wizarding world that's a question for the real world don't go on youtube and uh, search out any videos to talking about lock picking (laughs) i mean you'll quickly learn that the locks that you have on your apartment uh, in your house don't do anything (laughs) They will not keep anybody out. I believe it. And if you think you're being slick, you know, looking up YouTube videos about unlocking things, if you think you're going to be able to cheat on your exams over at Hogwarts, don't worry. They're giving you special anti-cheating quills. You're basically screwed unless you can actually demonstrate the magic that they want you to do. Yeah, the uh, anti-cheating quills are for your practical area for your written exams, and then you have the practical exams. The one that you have to actually, you know, do a demonstration. Like, make a pineapple tap dance across the desk, or turn a mouse into a snuff box. Hey, extra points, as the snuff box is pretty. That's so objective, McGonagall, come on. (laughs) And without any whiskers. Uh, and Snape has the practical exam of uh, making a forgetfulness potion. Well, if only uh, I could remember how to do that. I know. It's ironic, isn't it? Right? Don't you think? I do. Uh, the written exam is, of course, the history of magic, and they don't get into any of the other exams. No, they they don't touch on anything. But, uh, Chris, my question to you, would you rather do a, have a practical exam or a written exam? So when it comes to stuff like transfiguration, charms, or potions, I feel like a practical exam's a little bit more spot on because you could at least show some semblance of knowledge about what you have to do. Like I think a written exam would be a little bit too easy because if you have like a little bit of an idea about, you know, what goes into a potion you know, you could process of elimination, figure it out. I mean, I'm imagining some wizarding world are probably doing this on Scantron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I feel like doing things through it's a practical wand. exam, you could at least get close just to show you have an idea of like what the motions you need to do to cast the spell are. You might not be 100% spot on with it, but you could, you know... You could show your swish and flick. You might have a little bit more swish than you do flick. It's not the perfect ratio, but, you know, flick would, would be at least able to see, hey, okay, Chris gets this. 
visiting classes pass fail? I don't know. I don't no, get no, it. They got percentages. Oh, oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine, he got a hundred and twelve percent, which just seems crazy. Because okay, you're making a pineapple tap dance across a table. Would I lose points by having my pineapple waltz across the table? Is yeah. that it's still a pineapple dancing across the table, which would still be pretty impressive. I'm thinking she got the 12 extra points because she knew Professor Flitwick's favorite movie was Singing in the Rain. So she had the pineapple do the Fred Astaire bit, and she actually brought in a tiny umbrella. <laughs> she brought in a little lamppost and it hung off the side of it. Yeah. You know, she brought one of those tropical drink umbrellas for the pineapple. <laughs> I mean, so it's a pineapple. It, she just have one of those anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, and then it did the whole thing. It, the uh, the uh, lamppost was actually a straw. So after it was all done, she transfigurationed it into a uh, a really nice uh, pina colada. For <laughs> and then she made it rain in the classroom. And then Flip was like, wow. I love pina coladas and getting lost in the rain. Yeah. All the exams seem just like, a, like it just seems like some stuff happening just so the teachers can write out some sort of grade for the kids. Yeah. What I think is weird is after the exams are over, they have a whole week where they're just waiting for their scores to be posted. So it's like a week of school without school. Again, making this feel more like a summer camp kind of place than an actual school. It doesn't seem right, but then as an adult who's just gone through the unemployment system here in Florida, that exists because we're in the middle of a pandemic, been quarantined for two months now. Uh, I applied for unemployment back in March. Website wasn't working. I had to do it again in April. Got halfway through the process. Then I finished it in May, the beginning of May when I was going through trying to put in my information. It seemed like the website knew half of what it was asking for already and then just wanted me to put in the rest of it. It's like, well, why are you asking me to put in the rest of it? You already know the answers you're looking for. I mean, a week hanging out in school, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I just think it's weird. Like, why wouldn't they just go home? Like, what what happens after they get the test scores? Um, like... I guess, oh, the test scores depend on awarding points for the House Cup? Yeah, because, I mean, they do have, like, their school end-of-the-year ceremonies. Right. But I can't imagine it taking that long. Are you given a chance to do a makeup final exam if you were close to passing and you were, like, just a point off? Or, like, what's happening during that week? Are there makeup exams going on during that week? Are the practicals just so difficult to schedule? logistics wise of getting all the students through that they need a whole week to finish the exams so it's not like everybody's done within that week maybe the exams are more spread out it could be a case of the exams are more spread out because we do know like as you progress through your years of hogwarts you do take more and other classes and some of those are a little bit more practical than like on book it could just be taking all of that into account that takes a little bit more time because you can't get someone's final grades until they do another class, but they don't want to report everything until those other classes are finished. I don't know. And then, like, you find out later there's, like, the owls, which are, like, wizarding SATs, or acts. Yeah, like, they're, 
maybe they have to just wait for all of that to wrap up. And it's a lot for a big school with what seems to be just like eight teachers. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think it's, yeah, I think that's it. It's the logistics of actually getting all the students through the exams. They're practical, so that most of them are being done one at a time in the room. Yeah. And then maybe after the scores are posted, they actually create the schedule for the following year, right then and there. Like, oh, you have to do remedial history of magic. Or no, you can take the advanced potions because you did a uh, score in an outstanding. Oh, you want to take more classes? We'll just give you this weird wizarding artifact that lets you turn back time. What? <laughs> you trust that to a 12-year-old? Anyways. 13. <laughs> oh, she's 12 after she turns it back. <laughs> uh, but at this point, during that uh, week of just being able to relax, Harry remembers something. A fact that he kind of overlooked from one Hagrid told him the story of how he got the Dragon Norber, winning it in a game of cards. Before we get to that, though, we have a lot of Hermione grumbling over she didn't need to study as much as she did because it never even came up. You mean the uh, 1637 Werewolf Code of Conduct? Yes. Or the uprising of Elfric the Eager? Yes. So both of those things, as soon as I read those on this reread, I was like, oh, well, well, what is this? Like, does this actually matter? Uh, it turns out neither one of these things does. Uh, first of all, because the Werewolf Code of Conduct, six, uh, 1637, was a set of rules set up with the responsibilities that werewolves would have to adhere to in order to keep other people safe. Ultimately, the downfall of this code was the fact that nobody showed up to sign off on it because there's a stigma with being a werewolf in the wizarding world that nobody wanted to be associated with. So this just seems like one of those things like there couldn't be enough written about it that Hermione would have to study for it to possibly be a question on her history of magic final. Cause it was literally like, Oh, this is submitted. Oh, nobody came to, to sign off on it. Okay. It's done. And then Elfric, the eager wizarding universe, Nothing else written about this besides this one random throwaway line. Uh, people assume or infer maybe that Alfred the Eager might have been a goblin fighting for some sort of goblin rights. Mm-hmm. But that's all just fan supposition because besides this line, nothing else has been written or noted about Alfred the Eager. I, I think it's one of those things where earlier in one of the first chapters, they were talking about Ulfric and and uh, what was the other one? And whether or not which one which one was which, and them getting confused. And this seems like the the completion of that uh, triad: Elfric, Ulric, and uh, Wolfric. I'm gonna it's something like that, right? They were to use in a normal book. We would have already had like, hey, it's the end of the year. This is the wind down, and it seems to be like that's what most of the students are kind of treating this as. They already took their end-of-the-year exams. Uh, now they, they're they just hanging out alongside the Black Lake with the uh, infamous Hogwarts giant squid, which there is one of, a, uh, one of the Pottermore notes in this copy of the book. Again, I have a digital copy of this from 
the Apple Books Marketplace. So periodically through the actual book, there are notes that will take you to more information as supplied by Pottermore. Because um, at this point in the book, we find out that the Weezy Twins and Lee Jordan are hanging out alongside the lake, tickling the tentacles of a giant squid, uh, which was basking in the warm shallows. Okay, there's a red feather next to it. You hit that red feather, and then it brings up this blurb, and I quote, The lake is full of creatures that would make a muggle naturalist swoon with delight if terror did not seize them first. There are grindelows, vicious little water demons, merpeople of a hardy Scottish strain, and a giant squid, which is semi-domesticated and permits students to tickle its tentacles on sunny days when it basks in the shallows. Some of those creatures we will meet later when we come to the Goblet of Fire when one of the actual challenges sends the champions into the Black Lake. Uh, we'll see Grindelows and some of the people. Also in later books, we have further mentions of the giant squid that lives in the lake, but it just seems like the giant squid's just there. Like, it's just used to kids hanging out by the lake, and then every now and then it comes up, and it's just cool with them. Like, it's just like one of those weird like feral cats that hey you see it in a parking lot you're going to see that cat in the parking lot because that's what it does it hangs out there well i believe the slytherin uh, common room also has a window out to the uh lake and they often see the giant squids floating by yeah it's just one of those things like hey it's just like part of the scenery it's there appreciate it the two names i was trying to remember are emmerich the evil and uric the oddball and then you would have, now I can't even remember. Alfric. Alfric the Eager. So Emmerich, Ulrich. See, I can't do it. Alfric. Alfric. It's world building. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. But, you know, sometimes you're a fan or you do a podcast about something and you want to know more. So you, you're looking for that information. Now we get to go to Hagrid's Hut, where uh, Harry questions... Hagrid a little bit more about his story. So who was the person that you played the cards with? Oh, I don't know. He's wearing a hood. Never took it off. <laughs> uh, what did he? T- what did you guys talk about? Oh, things. He kept buying me drinks. We were playing cards. Might have told him about. Might have told him about Fluffy and just how it can only you know go to sleep if you play a music. And that's where the stranger done wrong. <laughs> he spent a lot of money on buying Hagrid drinks. When you don't need to buy him any drinks. Yeah, you can just yeah. ask him about it. He's going to start talking and be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, just keep him talking. Like Hermione. Just lean into him with a little bit of, bit of compliments. He'll tell you anything. He's great. Yeah, it's okay. It's Hagrid. He just likes then to like have some sort of like human interaction, it seems. He likes to tell a story. He likes to tell the details. He's in depth like that. Where we got Harry Potter just flies off into melodrama all the time. It seems kind of like for Hagrid, every single story he tells has to be that big fish story. And he just doesn't know where to stop himself. And he's not aware of where he should have until someone else brings it up. Like, well, you didn't say this, did you? And he's like, oh, yeah. Don't ask me about it. So they now know that the Sorcerer's Stone is in danger. They try to go see Professor Dumbledore, which I think this is funny. They don't actually know where Professor Dumbledore's office is. They just have no clue. Well, they, they've only seen him three times in the book. He's the headmaster of the school. 
Yeah, but you would think you know where the headmaster's office is. Uh, but in their defense, things change around the school. You might know where it is, but then the route you have to take to get there could, you know, the staircase could switch, it could disappear. You never know. So they they come to this information and they decide, like, hey, we have to tell Dumbledore. Snape has all the information he needs to go steal the Sorcerer's Stone. Only they happen upon another teacher who seems to have it out for them, but she doesn't because she's one of my favorite professors. She can never have it out for them. Professor McGonagall basically informs them that Dumbledore has been sent away for the uh, to the Ministry of Magic, and he'll be back tomorrow. And she tries to reassure the group that nobody could possibly steal it too well protected, but that's, which is true. But that's what catches me on this, too, because... No, I love McGonagall. She's one of my favorite characters in Harry Potter. The fact that these three students, troublesome as they may be, admit to her, like, hey, no, we know the Sorcerer's Stone's being hidden. They don't even say Snape. Like, they catch themselves. Mm -hmm. They just say, someone's trying to steal this. And then she kind of is just like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. I, I can't buy into that being... Not just like a house head, but, you know, an elder professor at the school. Granted, this is the kids' first year. They haven't made themselves known as the order of threats yet. The fact that they know the Sorcerer's Stone's hidden there and that there's multiple layers and levels to how it's hidden and someone knows about this and trying to get into it, that should be a big red flag for her. But I think there's that confidence there. One, all the professors have made awesome traps. And it's held safe this far, this year. The first break-in at Gringotts happened and was successful. See? There was an attempt that was successful back in the, back at the beginning of the year. And that's the thing. Like, that makes it a threat, though. Like, the fact that someone's actively seeking this, and now three first-year students are coming to you being like, Hey, yo, we know about this. Someone else knows about this, and they know how to get past it. That should be a big thing. Like, at that point, like, even if she's, you know, trying to put on that face, like, oh, no, don't worry. It's fine. It'll be safe. Wouldn't she go back and, you know, fireplace phone call Dumbledore being like, hey, yo, these three kids, they're bothersome. Don't get me started on it. Just (laughs) caught them sneaking out at 1 a.m. They know about the stone, and they're saying someone has the resources and knowledge to go get it like that. And, you know, like they didn't mention it, but Harry could have easily just been too like, and no, like got stuck in the forest. When you sent us on detention, mm-hmm. talk to a centaur. He's my boy. Now Voldemort was there. Like there's a lot of stuff that they could have peppered into this discussion to be like, okay, no, this is a grave situation. Maybe McGonagall isn't aware. That there has been attempts at a break-in. But you know who does know there's been attempts at a break-in? It was in the Daily Prophet, though. Like No, no, I mean at Hogwarts. Okay. Snape knows there's an attempt to break-in because he knows that Quirrell's trying to break-in. And if Snape knows, we're, we're all saying that Dumbledore knows. True, okay, yeah. So, at this point, I, I'm assuming that McGonagall probably knows as well. Because she was there with... Dumbledore when Harry got dropped off. So I feel like McGonagall's probably in that close circle with Dumbledore. Uh, 
is well trusted and should be in on it. Nothing against the other Hogwarts professors, but I would assume McGonagall would probably be like top level clearance when it comes to Hogwarts stuff. I don't know. Could just be putting that on her as a one of my favorite characters, but I, I feel like she'd be more in on things and then on that note too, like take more of the serious. Well, just because she doesn't freak out in front of the kids doesn't mean she's not taking it serious. I think she feels pretty confident that she has a handle of everything that's going on. Like, okay, you three don't get involved. It's, it's well protected. Don't worry about it. And in fact, she knows well enough to stand near the door. Because <laughs> later on, when they go to check on to see if Fluffy's still... <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to be so smooth. <laughs> and they're like, whoops! And Professor McGonagall lets her have it. Oh yeah, you two bums are going to be the ones that are going to stop it. Not this big old dog. Not anything else. You are the last line of defense here. I'm saying we're pretty sure when we get to the last chapter i do have to reread it but from what i remember and from the movie this is almost a raiders of the lost ark kind of situation Mm -hmm. if harry doesn't go down there there's a good chance that quirrell would never find the stone anyways sorry spoilers uh we'll never find i mean we're reading this book like 20 years after it came out uh like 15 years after the movie came out (laughs) Uh, we're going in and i think we even said like First episode, like, no, we're going into this knowing what we all know about this book. You're spoiler-free, Paul. Yeah, but I feel like I'm now talking about the last chapter a little too much in uh, in this chapter. But if Harry never goes down there, Quirrell would never find the stone anyways. True. Because of the enchantment that Dumbledore placed on it. So I'm like, uh, so she's not wrong <laughs> to be like, it's too well protected. Don't worry about it. And the Mirror of Error set has driven wizards mad before, <laughs> just like staring at it. So even if Dumbledore took a week's vacation, he could probably come back and find Professor Quirrell just staring in front of that darn mirror. That's that's true. I'll give I'll secede that to you. You're you're correct. But just as a professor, the fact that three first year students are coming to you with this knowledge should just be like a big deal like and again like you said we don't know what she's doing you know behind the scenes in her office like she could be pulling her hair like oh, these kids know this oh my gosh because Hagrid I can get Hagrid just being like oh don't say anything kids bye gonna drink some brandy and blood <laughs> he didn't drink blood okay going back to the other chapters Norbert was drinking the brandy and blood but I wouldn't pass Hagrid to be like, oh, let me try this too. Good enough for me, dragon. Good enough for me. Kind of thing. Hagrid's <laughs> kind of a disaster. Um, don't not say as much of a disaster as the movies make him out to be. No, but don't say he's not. Because you also wouldn't win that <laughs> argument, probably. No. Um, ultimately, it comes out to the fact that, okay, McGonagall doesn't believe us. This is going to fall down to us. Like, we're going to have to go do this, guys. And that kind of leads us into, like, the final part of this chapter, which is going to push us through to the finale of the book, because Harry's like, no, like, we have to do this. We have to get the stone, because if we don't, Snape's going to get down there and get it. We have to do this first. 
He's like, I don't care if I get expelled. There won't be a Hogwarts to get expelled from if Voldemort comes back. And I like that, you know, Harry basically predicts what happens to Hogwarts here. Uh, It'll get turned into a uh, school for the dark arts. Or it'll get flattened. Both kind of happen. Ugh, dang those caros. He's not wrong. Melodramatic, but not wrong. (laughs) Melodramatic, but not wrong. Uh, And then we actually wind up getting them sneaking down into the chamber, the room, wherever it's kept. Um, They wind up working their way past Fluffy. And then I have the notes written down here. So we have all of the challenges set up by each one of the professors. So first they have to get past Fluffy, set by Hagrid. Then they have to work their way through the Devil Snare from Professor Sprout. Then they have to catch the Enchanted Key from Professor Flitwick. Game their way through the Enchanted Chess Set from Professor McGonagall. And then figure out the logic puzzle that was uh, the potion from Professor Snape. The one thing that is missing, of course, is the Hocus Pocus. That was made by Professor Quirrell, because obviously Snape has already beaten that out of Quirrell, or Quirrell just undoes it himself. Since they don't even mention it, it seems like maybe there wasn't anything set up by Quirrell, because I feel like they probably would have at least mentioned it. So Mm -hmm. we don't know too much about what Dumbledore knew or thought about Quirrell going into this. And we talked about this a little bit previously on the show. Maybe like Professor Quirrell's thing was just like, oh, hey, find the door? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm thinking there was some kind of spell there. And that's what Snape was trying to get out of him. I don't know. Maybe if they wanted to move it out of there, if they no longer trusted Quirrell and thought it was dangerous, maybe there had to be. they had to get a way around it. But of course, they got the mirror of Erised down there. Yeah, but that's so. the thing, like because we find a, not find out necessarily, but like hear about all the other challenges that they have to go through, and you know, at no point in this chapter do they say like, oh, and then there's this chapter which was set up and defeated by, you know, assume Snape at this point that had been put there by Quirrell. Like, there's no other mention that. Wait, one, two, three, four, five. There's five challenges that they have to get through before they wind up getting into the chamber with the mirror. Like, there's no sixth one that's like, oh, and then this one was completely deactivated. But we know he was one of the ones. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, no. His was the troll. Oh, the cave troll that got out of the dungeon. Ah. No, because there was another, sorry, I have to go find it now, because there's another troll that they walk past. And it's seriously like a half paragraph thing where it's like they see a troll that's already been beat because his his challenge was a troll that he's easily uh, able to dispatch because he has like a history with the trolls. Oh, where is it? Um, It's before. Okay, it's before they go to potion. So it's after they do wizard chess because there's another door and then end quote. A disgusting smell filled their nostrils, making both of them pull their robes over their noses. Eyes watering, they saw flat on the floor in front of them a troll even larger than the one that they had tackled out cold with a bloody lump on its head. And then Harry says, I'm glad we didn't have to fight that one. Come on, I can't breathe. And then they keep going on, and then they find the potion room. It's such like a quick throwaway thing, 
because I read this chapter the other night and then I made my notes today, like just kind of going through and it's so quick that it doesn't even register as you're like scrolling through the pages mm-hmm. as something that I had to note because yeah, he did, he did have a challenge. Oh, Quirrell, you got us all. Cause even up to this point, they still think Snape's uh, going for it. Yeah. Knocked out with a bloody lump on his head. I wonder what kind of spell they used. Probably a, a little uh, Leviosa. They know three huh? spells at that point, so yeah, that had to be it. That's that's what uh, Snape probably did to get past that troll. Just hit him over the head with its own club. Really gets me on this, I should say, is, okay, the rest of these challenges that they have to get through kind of make sense, like, in respect to the professors that set them up. You know, you have giant three-headed dog guarding the door into the rest of the rooms that will lead you through to the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, next, you have the Devil's Snare, which is a deadly mm-hmm. plant, unless you know how to get past it. Which, in the movies, they really kind of gloss over really quick, because the answer to getting past it is just to do nothing. And I think the books handle it a little bit better. Yeah, that didn't, they need fire. And luckily, as soon as Hermione lands on it, she kind of like moves off to the side, gets out of the or the vines of it. And uh, Ron and Harry are just sitting there, slowly getting entrapped. But then it's ultimately the fire that will let them through it. Then they head into the room with the enchanted keys. Uh, One of those keys will let them through the door into the next challenge. Uh, The keys enchanted by Professor Flitwick. See, I think that's weird that they're enchanted. Because reading it again, I'm like, oh, this has to be McGonagall's. Because it's like, they're keys that seem like they've been transfigured halfway into birds. And then when we get into the next room, though, it's actually a wizard chessboard, life-size, that they have to play their way through. And this is McGonagall's challenge. And for me, again, it could go either way until you remember later on when you come to the Battle of Hogwarts. It's McGonagall who brings the statues around the grounds of Hogwarts to life to help defend the castle. So bringing statues to life, bringing giant chess pieces to life. That kind of checks out. But until you have that knowledge or like remember that fact, like I think either one of these could kind of go either way. Like You could argue to either of that. Yeah. And who's a big Quidditch fan? McGonagall. She, she played on the Hogwarts Quidditch team. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, and what's the, the key challenge need to do you needed to fly you had to fly you had to catch it also kind of bothers me that they had brooms provided you know what are you going to do uh you know akio firebolt from way down there why akio did they try to akio key i can't remember uh like be a little bit more specific guys but what really gets me about all these challenges is actually the next and not final one, but penultimate one with the potions set up by Professor Snape. There's seven potions on a table. You have to drink the right one to progress further into the chamber that has the key. And then you would also have to drink the correct one to progress back through to return to the entrance. And it's not so much a potion-making test as much as it is a logic one. Because of the seven potions in front of you, 
there's then a puzzle set up written out on a piece of parchment that outlines what potions do what, and then you kind of have to piece it together. That really bugs me. And then I have written down here, if only the teachers or Dumbledore are supposed to have access to this room, why not just share the correct potions to drink for what with each other? Like, there's no reason besides plot armor to say, like, oh, drink this one to do this, drink this one to do this. Like, if they had just set this up as a trap for someone trying to access the stone, you just put seven potions out there in front of the door just to, like, catch them up because you share what needs to be known with who needs to know it. Right. Nobody else is going to be able to access it because you have a one in seven chance of drinking the right one to walk through the flames to get to the next room. And if you had an army of followers behind you, it'd be pretty easy because there's enough to, to at least have two people drink that potion to walk through the fire. So it would be pretty easy for you to figure out which one it is just sacrificing, you know, seven of your people. I can understand what you're saying, Chris, but I, I think they're still unsure. They just lived through a war 11 some odd years ago that finally stopped where people got mind controlled to do things against their will. Secrets, you don't, didn't say secret very long if you trusted the wrong people. Look at uh, Lillian James. So maybe this is a thing where they didn't even want to trust each other or themselves to, to just have that knowledge. They needed that challenge to just be there because maybe if they're, you know, being, uh, what is it? Controlled with a, um, like the imperious, maybe with the imperious curse, maybe their mental faculties will be a little lessened. So they wouldn't be able to solve this logic puzzle. And somebody that's outside of them controlling them wouldn't be able to solve the logic. puzzle. But, and if you're worried about other people getting into it, though, like the fact that it was a logic puzzle is like my main hang up, because if you just have seven random potions down there, the only people that are going to know which ones are OK to drink are the person that said it. And then whoever they decide to tell, if you don't have any kind of, you know, hints or cheat your way through it kind of thing, because, I yeah, mean, but- you know, me, not of the wizarding world, you put these in front of me with, you know, a a scroll of hints, eventually I'd be able to work my way through it. But you're, you're human. I'm human. You're, you're logical. I'm, I'm logical. But you don't put those notes in front of me and you just put seven potions there. I'm not going to know which one to drink before I have to walk through the fire. Like to go either way, like mm-hmm. to on my way back out or my way through further. It's just dumb. Like to leave hints about anything. That is true. I understand what you're saying. But it's needed. <laughs> it's needed to progress the story through to get one of like the 11-year-old heroes of this book through to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think if they had wanted to showcase it a little bit more, maybe put ingredients on a table, and then you could still have Hermione being like, oh, we need a potion to get through the fire. You mix this, this, and this, and this. You'll be able to walk through it. Like, don't have it as just a, a logic thing because given well, time, think... anyone would be able to sit down and be like, okay, number three is not going to be it. And because number three is not it, well, four can't be it. Like, let me take these ones out. Like, 
Yeah, but I think it's also showing the character of Snape, how he kind of looks down at other wizards. It's, it's giving him that character beat of like... Oh, he's he's also the potions master, though. Like, if, you know, kids can't put together potions of forgetfulness for their final exam, mm-hmm. if someone's not able to put together a potion of fire walking to get to the the room with stone, like, that's that seems kind of more on brand than being like, mm, yes, figure out this riddle. Firewater, we know Polyjuice, well, from the next book, we know that Polyjuice Potion takes a while to brew. Yes, a month. We know that the brew for, uh, t- makes you tell the truth. Uh, Not truth serum. Uh, Veritas. Veritas serum. Yeah, I can't remember the full name of it. Uh, that takes a while to brew. Like, so maybe a firewalking pro- potion takes, you know, several hours a day to brew. True. And, you know, and, you know, so that, therefore you can't just do that as a thing. So you're doing pre-made potions. Okay, so now I gotta hide a pre-made potion. I don't want to leave, I don't want to just let one person know who could turn on us. So I'm gonna do this logic puzzle, so hopefully the only the right kind of person, a logical wizard. Okay. I will give you that. You've won me over with your arguments. Oh, wow. (laughs) Mark this day on your calendar. I will. And that's a lot of battling that they had to do there. And I did want to mention quickly, they had to overcome uh, some mini battles, even before getting to Fluffy. We got to see them overcome Fletch. Fletch? I can't say his name. Filch again. Mrs. Norris. Norwegian Ridgeback. (laughs) Norwegian Ridgeback. And then uh, also they got to get around Peeves. By just saying, making your voice like the Bloody Baron. Uh, again, one of my my hangups because I gonna have written in my notes. What are the chances that an eleven year old kid could replicate the voice of the Bloody Baron? And then you you laid it out for me. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So that's two battles you won. It's there because it's the kids' book, and you needed to overcome all the little antagonists, and you're on the road to go against the big antagonist of the story, the big the big bat. So you had to get past and uh, overcome all the everybody else. So On that note, too, I don't blame the filmmakers for cutting that out because it's literally like a one-paragraph thing where they're kind of going through the corridors and then Peeves is aware that they're there, hidden by the invisibility cloak. Because it's just such a quick, like, a quick win for them mm-hmm. that... When you're filming a multi-million dollar movie, oh no, that's going to cost you thousands upon thousands of dollars to set up and film for that day with everything and then visual effects. Like, I don't blame them for that. And then also, even in the movie, like, a lot of the stuff, like, they just kind of blow past. Like, we don't get the potions thing at all before, you know, Harry moves into the next room. It's got to be tough to make a movie. We'll talk about that in our... Epilogue. Epilogue. Well, we got one more chapter to get through before we get to that point, though, because we're about to head into The Man with Two Faces. And hopefully you're about to head into rating and reviewing us over on iTunes. We love any kind of feedback that you can give us, whether it's rating and reviewing us, talking us up to somebody else. We do a weekly podcast about comic books and pop culture, craft beer as it is. This is just a side podcast to talk about something that we love. And hopefully you love it, too. So... Make sure you do that. And then if you want to reach out to us, email us over at beggingboardcast at gmail.com. Let us know what we should be reading next. We have a plan, but you know what? If there's a book that we missed or you want to hear about, 
give us a heads up. 